Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Clean Comedy Podcast with your host, James Creviston. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Clean Comedy Podcast. It's James, and today I have a great comedian. He's been in it for a long time. His new dry bar special just dropped on Wednesday. And if you're anywhere, in SoCal, if you're familiar with the the SoCal comedy scene, you know this guy. You've seen him, uh, Ventura Harbor Comedy Festival, Ventura Co- Comedy Festival, Ventura Harbor Comedy Club, JR's Comedy Club. I mean, if you if you're anywhere in SoCal, you've seen him. And uh, so, please welcome the very talented, the very kind, very gracious, and funny Randy Lubis. Randy, welcome. Thank you, James. That's very nice. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You, I actually learned about you uh, when Ventura, when I think you ran Ventura Harbor Comedy Club for a little while. Is that right? Yeah, um, I owned it for uh, 12 years. We opened okay. it up and uh, we, we purchased the club from another uh, owner in 2008. And I stayed there until the end of 2019. So in the course of that run, we uh, we did, you know, shows all. It was a full time comedy club with yeah. kitchen, restaurant, two bars. And, uh, and we had, uh, I, for nine years, I produced the Ventura Comedy Festival there. Yeah. And it was at that location and many other locations in Ventura. So uh, a pretty widespread uh, footprint over in Ventura County, but originally opened up JR's Comedy Club in Valencia, California, 25 years ago. And That's it's amazing. still still going. <laughs> it is, it is. And it's, and it's like packed, like every Saturday, it's packed. You guys, what you guys, like, if you're in LA and you complain about like small crowds or whatever and stuff, whatever Randy is doing, literally whatever he's doing, we should he should write a book about it because it's working every Saturday. Because I'm lucky enough that I that I've been granted the ability to host at JR's and great first of all, great crowds. Secondly, always packed and just so much fun. Like I've never seen I've done a lot of clubs. I've traveled all over the United States. I've been to a lot of different clubs. I performed a lot of places always a great crowd there i've never seen people be so excited about comedy just having a just know like this is a good time we're here to have a good time and that's it it's amazing you know it's, it's funny I, when i started doing stand-up there there weren't comedy clubs there were only maybe five across the country there were a couple in new york a couple in la uh and 
there was one in uh, Detroit, but at that wave in the, in the 80s, a, a comedy club was virtually opening up in every city every week. It was just exploding all over. And there was this incredible excitement. I remember when the first comedy club opened in my hometown, Pittsburgh, I had been hired to become the house MC. And so uh, right off the bat, the first weekend we were there, every show is totally sold out and people were fencing tickets out in front <laughs> on the first weekend. And I don't know, somehow I tried to create that same sort of feel that I, that I grew up with. And, and as a result of that, I think that, that, that the audiences uh, that do come to the shows are, are, are really, really fun audiences and, and, and ready to have a good time. Uh, you know, we opened up the, uh, the JRs in Simi Valley a little over a year ago. And the same thing, the people that come to the shows are, are awesome audiences and people love to perform there. And, uh, and, and so we've, we've had a nice run and, and it's still going. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. So you started comedy in the, in the, what, what year did you start comedy? Just kind of, I, give I probably, to, to be truthful, I was doing little things that would lead you into comedy as far back as high school. I could imitate people and I would do things to entertain people at parties and things like that. But in college, I entered a gong show and a talent contest. And that was the first time I actually did stand up comedy per se uh, in front of uh, in front of live audience. And and then when I graduated from college, I started going to anywhere I could go. Um, one of the first places I ever went was uh, a strip club it's called <laughs> Sunny Days Stage Door on Route 51 in Pittsburgh. And uh, you know, this guy that I had gone to college with who was doing a little comedy improv said, yeah, they'll put you on stage there. So I go in and, and supposedly Sunny Day was uh, one of Bill Haley's Comets, Bill Haley and the Comets. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but he, he was a saxophone player, but he could play two saxophones at once. Wow. <laughs> anyway, that was his claim to fame, but he had this little strip club and he said I could go up in between the strippers and I did. And uh, I had nothing to compare it to. I just knew, hey, I want to get on stage. And this was not a great strip club. <laughs> These were not the, you know, high premium strippers. These were women with stretch marks and bullet wound heels and uh, scars and things like that. But there were small crowds, but they listened to me and they liked it. And I was doing impressions. And if I did the impression right, people would clap at the end. And so I, I got hooked immediately. The, the, within minutes of being on stage, I, I, I knew that I, I never wanted to stop. You know? <laughs> that is awesome. That's the thing is comedy. Like once you do it, it feels like it's the best feeling in the world. It's hard to describe to somebody who's never done stand-up what that's like. When you do it, you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe, so first of all, I can't believe someone's letting me do this. And secondly, I can't believe other people are listening to me do this. Like, it, what's going on in this in the world? And it's amazing. Well, one way you can explain it to people is you say this, everyone, no matter who you are, at one point said something that someone laughed at. Yeah. And if that ever happened, even if that only happened to you one time in your life and you search your memory back when it happened, you'll remember it felt good. Yeah. Well, then all of a sudden start saying, okay, you, you got uh, five minutes to do it and it happened over and over and over again for five minutes. Now, all of a sudden, wow. And it's, it's an addiction and it becomes part of your life and it becomes what you want. Very few people in the history of stand-up comedy ever stopped. You know, a couple of yeah. people. Steve Martin stopped, 
Woody Allen stuff, but most people that do stand-up comedy continue to do it in one form or another throughout their life. Yeah, and that's true. I I I think it was Judge Judd Apatow's book or something I was watching with Judd Apatow where he actually started stand up, then did a bunch of writing, and then came back to stand up. Like it, he said, it like never left his blood. He never didn't want to do it, but he just couldn't do it. So then, but it had built up in him, and he had to like go do it once he could go do it again. And his wife even was like, "I never knew you did stand up comedy." Like that's a funny thing to keep from your spouse. You know, <laughs> it's like that's amazing. So. You started in Pittsburgh, and then what brought you to LA? What brought you out here and to start comedy out here or doing comedy? Well, out here? I knew I, I I wanted to, you know, audition for acting roles. I wanted to, you know, be in the heart of show business. So I came out and got into an acting class right off the bat, and I would study acting from ten in the morning till ten at night. You could wow. sign up for the whole, uh, you know, all month of classes for one price, and I would go to every class I could go to. And then I would do stand up at night or on the weekends. Uh, and then as soon as I'd run out of money, I'd go work on the road. And it was catch 22 because uh, so many things I came so close to getting, but missed because I went out of town to make money. Oh. And in those days, what was shortly after I got out here, I got to LA in 84. And soon after I got to California, the clubs had gotten to the point where I was headlining comedy clubs on the road and the money became very, very good. So they would fly you in, they would take care of all your expenses and pay you very, very well to do it. So I would try to, to get enough money, come back, you know, audition, get things going, and then you'd run out of money and go back out again. And it was, it was, uh, it was a difficult thing. Um, you know, a couple of thick ones I, I, I got really close to. I was, uh, I was in an acting class and we did a showcase for a guy named Michael Zanella. He was a producer, casting director. And he was casting one of these Star Trek movies. Oh, wow. And he came and watched the showcase and, and asked for three of the actors to audition for that movie. And I was in Houston, Texas, and it was like a Thursday. And I, I, I called, I said, look, I'll fly home to audition for it. They, they, they'll allow me to do it. And they said, no, 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 no. He, I talked to him himself and he said, you know, just come Monday. So I finished my week, I go home Monday. And sure enough, the two guys that were there both got cast in the movie. <sighs> that I, I go in and he goes, look, I'm going to have you read, but Leonard Nimoy was the director. He said, Leonard Nimoy decided he wanted to get it done. So they cast somebody else, but don't worry, I'll bring you in for something else. I would have had a really, really nice part in that movie. Missed it by one oh, day. Wow. Then I had a, I studied with a guy by the name of Jerry Paris, who directed Happy Days, but he was most originally known for being on the Dick Van Dyke show as an actor. But he became part of that that whole cabal with uh, uh, Gary Marshall and all those people, yeah. and uh, he he wanted me to audition for Jerry uh, for Gary Marshall, and the day before I was supposed to do this showcase for Gary Marshall, I've been auditioning for game shows, and I auditioned for this game show called Catchphrase, and I was just really good at it, and it was a brand new show. And I was getting all the answers like lightning, right? So they called me and I was scheduled to go on the show on their pilot episode. And they said, don't worry, we wanna make this look good. You're gonna win, it's gonna be great. And, they, and, and it was all set to go. And then Jerry Paris asked me to do a showcase for Gary Marshall the same day. So I called up Catchphrase, I said, I'm sorry, I have to cancel. I, I, I have a chance to do a scene in front of Gary Marshall. 
and they said, um, oh, you know, we have your name, everything's done. Uh, this is this is not good. And I said, well, could I do it another time? We can't guarantee that, blah, blah, blah. And so I thought, oh, well, you know, I came out here to be an actor. That's what I'm going to do. So I cancel it. I go do, to do the scene. This was a scene that I'd worked on with an actress in the class and Gary Marshall's there. And we get up to do the scene and the girl freezes. She can't, she can't do the scene. She can't, she's, she's standing there, can't speak. She's terrified, she's frozen. So I never get to do the scene for Gary Marshall. Oh my God. So in the meantime, I think I've blown it with catchphrase. So I went on a, another game show called uh, Joker's Wild. Oh yeah, and yeah I've seen that. One where you pull this thing and, and you, Joker, 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 money, money, money. And, any, and, and you only, you were at the subject of answering a question, gaining the money. And I lost because of the, the wheel. I, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I just lost because oh, of the wheel. And I got rice-a-roni as my <laughs> gift. And then as soon as I'd done that, they called me and, from catchphrase and said, yeah, we want to reschedule you. And I go, oh, I just did Joker's Wild. And at that time, you could only do one game show a year and three oh. in your lifetime. And so that was my first one. And catchphrase didn't even last a year. So that was it. I, I never wow. got to go. But that's that's kind of thing that happens. That's show business, right? You, you know, yeah. you you. Uh, so the bottom line is that I came out here in 84. I moved to here to become an actor and to, you know, become whatever your career evolves to in in California. And that's the journey we've been on. Yeah. And that's amazing because you like a lot of people have that same kind of story. It's like they come to be one thing and then it kind of turns a different direction for them. Maybe they they don't get to do the acting, but they end up writing or directing or something, whatever else it is. And I, I think that's impressive. And I, I really I feel like I'm on the same journey as you. Like I didn't come out to be an actor, though. I didn't want to be an actor. I wanted to be a director and a writer like I want to be Kevin Smith. That was like my my entire goal was to be the next Kevin Smith. And instead, I got push towards stand-up like oh you, people will be always say to me you should go do stand-up you should go do stand-up and i thought you had to be a famous actor already to go be a stand-up right because if you watch like tim allen had a tv show but he was a stand-up but i didn't know that it was vice versa like you could be a stand-up and, and start and so that really pushed me that way and then i just auditioned for a game show for their first season i can't say what it is but like it sounds like it might move forward so i'm like oh my gosh am i i'm like you this is gonna be yeah. amazing well, well, you know the, the funny thing james is this that the great thing about stand-up comedy is if you can do it they can't stop you yeah. and that's the interesting thing you see my wife is an actress so i i've been around uh, actors actresses and in stand-ups my whole life but if you're funny you can find a stage. Yeah. They can't stop you. You could be the greatest actor in the world and have studied and, and, and have technique and are tremendous and never, ever get a chance as long as you live. And that's why you have to have what I call the artist's soul. The artist's soul manifests itself in you and you can't not do something. In other words, even if you're not making money as an actor, you can't not act. So you will do theater, you will do community theater, you will continue to audition while you're, you know, being an Uber driver, whatever it is, you will, you, you will, you won't have the ability to stop because you have the artist soul that doesn't come out of you and you will continue. And that's, that's what happens to people in showbiz because everybody would, would love to be a movie star. 
Right. You know, right. Every every good looking person <laughs> would love to be a movie star, right? They'd love yeah. it. Uh, if it was easy to do, everyone yeah. would be doing it. Right. But it it takes many many things to fall in your favor for it to happen. You know, I've I've along the way seen people that have made it quickly like that. See people that took them years and then finally made it, and people that just found someplace in the middle that kept moving and rolling forward. It it just uh, it, it it and you never know. You know how you said you can shift gears and move, and you you have to continually reinvent yourself in show yeah. business, no matter who you are. You yeah. have got to figure out a, what's next because you're going to get older. You're you know the 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 world changed things have happened that you know obviously the way people did stand-up comedy in the 50s compared to what you can do doing stand-up comedy now completely different uh what could have been on tv in the 50s 60s some of it could never be on tv again it's it's time changes cultural things change um and and we change yeah that's true and that's the thing is i hear a lot of comedians who want to go do the road but it's harder than ever to do the road when I hear, you know, older comedians who've done it say it, that was just the way it was before. Like you could go do the road with, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Now you have to have an hour. You have to have some kind of thing that you've done and then you could go do the road. It's there's a lot more steps to get there. Uh, what do you think the biggest hurdle is for new comedians? Because you see a lot of new comedians coming in and out now. You're, you're, you're engaged in that world. What do you, what's the biggest? Like, what's the biggest maybe biggest piece of advice you can give to a new comedian starting out uh, in stand-up? Well, there's a few. Um, okay. The first off the thing is the thing you need is stage time. And you have to figure out a way to get stage time. And I say this from a person who, when we were starting out, there weren't comedy clubs in Pittsburgh. So what we did is we would find the local neighborhood bar and convince them to let us bring comedians in. And I was with a stable of comics that started out of Pittsburgh and we would all find something near where we were in the city and, and put shows together and find any place at all that would let us get on stage. So number one, and, and you gotta be creative and think out of the box, whether it's doing shows, you know, anywhere that'll put you up, whether it's a church or a fundraiser or outdoors or something, you know, you, you, gotta, you gotta get the stage time to get better. But the yeah. number two thing is, is I talked to a lot of young comics that get to New York or LA and then they want to go do the road. And I'll say to them, you're where show business takes place. You're in New York, you're in LA. That's where it will happen. To go out to Iowa and do the middle act at some comedy club and break even, the only thing you're going to get is your jollies because that's not where it happens. So what I suggest is figure out a way to get your stage time around where you live. I mean, there are, you know, when I say, you know, uh, someplace you can drive to, Someplace you can still get to and get back, you know, right. from wherever it is you're living. Uh, go do those weekend gigs. Do, there's, there's plenty of gigs around and, and create your own. But in the meantime, you know, if you've gotten yourself to L.A. or you happen to have already lived here or New York, stay there. Set up, you know, do you continue to go to, to try to pound those doors in, you know, the, the, the people that are there, the gatekeepers. Let them know, you know, when they say something to you like, uh, you know, you didn't pass the audition. Okay, right. can I audition again? They'll say, you know, okay, what? Well, yeah, when? A year from now. Then take out your calendar and say, great. <laughs> See, today is today is uh, is October twenty second, uh, two 
2022 on October 22nd, 2023. I'm writing it down. I'm going to be here and you're going to like me that time. You just say that to them right then and there. And, and then you let them know, see you over the course of that year. Say, don't worry, I'm, I'm, I'm working and I'll be back if you have to run into that person. But then go back exactly that day and do it again. And don't take no for an answer. Just keep going and pounding on the door. Um, eventually you'll get in. That's, that is a great advice. I mean, I, I hear a lot of comedians say, oh, don't start in LA, don't start in New York. And I started in LA. And it has been more difficult than some people that I know who started in smaller markets and said, you know, oh, I get, I'm doing, you know, an hour every weekend at this place. And it's like, wow, we've been doing it the same amount of time. I'm doing 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, 30 minutes if I get lucky, you know, to, and, to do stuff. So it's very interesting that, uh, that, that that's how the world works in those two cities. Now in New York, you can be hitting more mics and more shows in one night than you can in LA. It's very it's, it's hard to get all that stage time. What is your process for developing this? You have that new special. That, well, if we haven't mentioned that, Rainy has a new special on Drybar called Raised by Engineers. How did you, what's your process like for writing new material for that? What's your process for putting that special together? Well, you know, that was, uh, that, that, that's an interesting thing. There's a couple of interesting things about that. Um, one of them is that when I and, I, and I'm proud of that special for, for a couple of reasons, but number one, because I hadn't done stand up in a year and a half when I stood up and did that special. I wow. did it right. If you watch my special, people are wearing masks. We had just started to come out of COVID and it was the smallest crowd, everyone wearing masks. And I hadn't done my sets. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In a year and a half, you know, wow. uh, I was very lucky. My friend has a little club in Vegas, and he let me run it a few times the week before. But I hadn't literally hadn't been doing stand-up for a year and a half because of COVID. And so I had to jump up and do that. Um, the process of it was, it was, you know, it was, by that time I had a lot of material. So I had material to choose from. It was, was putting it together in the right order. I had to write a few new bits to tie it together. But the, the process was basically figuring out the order to put material in. And then where did I need to add new material to, to tie it all together with a bow? And I was able to do that, but, uh, Nothing got edited out of it from what I did. It was every, you know, everything I said is there. That's um, awesome. So, uh, yeah, so I was, I was really pleased. Um, and, uh, you know, in terms of uh, developing material, you, you just have to 
look around. I mean, I, I, I do two types of material, observational material about things that annoy me. And then the newer, newer comics, um, there's a, the, the new generation of comedians talk about themselves. They're storytellers. They talk about themselves. And that has created a situation where people get discovered and, and advance their careers and become stars. When I was starting out, it was sort of the, the way Seinfeld did it. It was observational comedy. You didn't, you didn't know really that much about Jerry Seinfeld when you watched his stand-up. You didn't, didn't know where he stood on issues. You just knew he would talk about the things he saw and what he right. thought was funny about them. It's called observational comedy. That was the school of comedy that I grew up on. But I also did impressions and characters and things like that incorporated into it. And now, you know, I, I will talk about my wife and talk about my real life and marriage and things like that. Uh, and it's a combination, uh, but I still will do observational comedy as well. So, yeah. Observational is my favorite. Like I, I, when he used to, I would go to Jerry, see Jerry Seinfeld every year in Las Vegas. That was like my one big trip that I would invest to go. Like, I'm going to go watch this. And even though it was usually the same set, he might throw in a couple of new jokes or whatever, just like that observational style is so amazing and i do miss it because you're right there's not a lot of people that do observational comedy anymore it's kind of it's kind of storytelling or talking about themselves or you know kind of the same we almost kind of hear the same material over and over again just different points of view you know yeah it's very very much about yourself and uh and it and, and hey i don't i'm not a judge of, of right. i say whatever works for you fantastic you know i remember people used to uh, turn their nose up to prop comics and some of those prop comics have become some of the most successful comedians in the world and they happen to be great people and yet other comics that were struggling along you know acted like they were better hey whatever your journey takes you on go do it and be good at it and 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 you know there's there's no rules there's no rules in what you have to do in show business none at yeah. all you know, now you're you're also like a writer and a voice actor and stuff i mean you do a lot. Like how, how, how do you do so much? I am, I'm impressed that I'm able to write and do stand up and improv and teach things. And that's my job. Like I literally don't have a day job. I, all my stuff is related to comedy and podcasts and all this. How do you do all these things? You're a comedian, actor, voice actor, writer, producer. You run the JRS comedy club, you tour, like you go on cruise ships. You're gone. How, how do you, what, what are you taking? I want to take the same thing. You know, <laughs> not only that, I'm a personal manager. I'm managing oh a couple of comedians. Uh, you know, it's funny. Somebody will say to me once in a while, they'll, like, they'll say, oh, are you not? Like, I walk into a restaurant or something. Oh, not working today? I go, I'm always working. You know, it's like, I'm always working, but it never feels like work. It's it's kind of funny. It, it I, I have to confess, it did feel like work when I was going back and forth to Ventura. So that's why right. I'm so pleased that I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. But... You know, now, like you listed off the number of things that I do, like, you know, in the last week, I did a voiceover audition. I communicated with a theatrical agent. I, I you know, I'm looking out for two people's careers as, um, as their manager. I book uh, JRs. I send out the email blast for JRs. I take the reservations for JRs. I was up there last night and did a set. Um, I, I had to secure locations for New Year's Eve for both locations, Simi Valley and Valencia. Uh, you know, and uh, tonight at midnight, I'm getting on a flight to get on a cruise ship uh, tomorrow. So uh, it, it doesn't stop, but 
it it feels good. It feels good to be busy. I I, I had another great conversation um, with a friend of mine introduced me to a woman in in Minnesota that wants me to put together a comedy festival for her. So I might be producing a comedy festival in Minnesota next year. So all of these things are balls that are in the air. In the meantime, like you said, I am a writer. I've written two scripts that it's very hard to get people to read. I've, I've, uh, I've written uh, so many treatments and things and I still pitch ideas for shows. Uh, and, you know, I, there's, there's always a, the dream of the next big thing, you know, can I, uh, can I sell a show? Can I, uh, can I, get, can I get a movie produced, you know, and you keep, you keep doing that. You have, you have balls in the air and certain things get moved to a back burner, but you don't forget they're there. And, and when the time comes, Oh, guess what? I just met you. You know what? I got just the thing you need. And it, it happens that way. So you just yep. have to, you have to keep positive and using positive energy. Um, a long time ago, I can't even, I think it may have been my wife told me a great thing that was sold to her and that's activity breeds activity. You know, the, the more things you're doing, the better things are going to come. I was just a judge at the world series of comedy in Las Vegas and two or three great things happened as a result. I went down and I was an uh, industry panel at the uh, big pine comedy festival at the mic drop comedy club. Good things happened as a result of it. So you know, you just keep busy and, uh, and good things happen, you know? Yeah. I, that, and that's true. My, my wife always calls it having a thousand irons in the fire where you just constantly have things going. I'm always doing the same thing, working on podcasts. I help other people produce stuff. I, you know, all those things. And then one thing where you go, th- and sometimes you, like you said, you put on the back burner, you go, that's going to sit there for a while. They're like, I don't think anything's going to happen with that. That's the thing that comes forward. And next thing you know, you're like, Oh my gosh, now I got to work on that. And then something else moves and it just is a game of musical chairs, almost of a, a biz- right. business. So. And like, and like, if, if tomorrow, you know, one of your, one of your pitches happen, you would have to devote much more time for that. And then you'd have to either find somebody to help you out, do the other things you were doing or uh, put them on pause or, or stop doing them or whatever it is, but you'd, you'd adjust. And, and the ones that, that were concurrent, you would, you would find a way. Yeah. You know? So what is your, now you you're from Pittsburgh. You you probably love to go back there and do stand up when you can. Besides there, what is like your favorite place to go and do stand up? Like what what city? If someone says, "Hey, Randy, you can go to any place you want and do stand up," what what city do you know you're gonna go have fun in? Well, I would always definitely have fun in Pittsburgh because I still yeah. have lots of friends there. Right. But I've got to tell you, I have been having so much fun this year working on the cruise ships uh, and specifically Carnival Cruises. Because you get to do, first of all, you're the only, most of the time, you're the only one on the show. So you do a 30 minute show. You're the only one there. They have comedy clubs on the ship. They're always packed. So you're in front of three or 400 people and they're there having a good time. They're on vacation. And, uh, and they, and I don't really do any blue material, but they actually say to people that come to the comedy club shows, if you're easily offended, this is not the place for you to be. And so you don't worry about necessarily anybody complaining like you might on the other cruise lines. Some of the other cruise lines are very conscious that if anyone complains, they'll address it. They'll tell you, you have to take something out of your act or change something. Uh, but with, with carnival cruises, it has been so much fun. So you're the star of the show. You do at least five shows on every cruise, sometimes as many as nine. Wow. And you have to have three different 30 minutes, which, cre- which makes you, want to write more because people that like you will come back to your shows. 
So instead of having to have them say, this is a repeat show and people walk out because they just saw you do that same show, you're trying to build it up. Now I've built up to the point where I have five different half hour shows. Awesome. Uh, but I'm still working because they're, the, the, the last two are not as perfect as the first three because the first three is an accumulation of a lifetime of stand-up. So you're trying to make everything equal, everything just as great. And, and, th and that's been really fun. It's been fun to open your mind and become more creative, um, do more crowd work. You know, lo lots of muscles of a comedian that you exercise that, that, that you don't always get to do. And so um, it's been great fun. I've really enjoyed it. Now, do you find yourself setting time aside to write specifically so you can work on those two hours? Or you just kind of have uh, a, just as it comes to you, you write a new bit. Like, do you how's that work for you? I don't set a time to do it. Uh, more of what will happen is I'll think about something and I'll say, you know what? I want to talk about that. And I'll start I'll start start on stage really, really? talking about it. I'll just start throwing it out there in between material that I know works. Right. So right. I try a new bit in between stuff that I know will work. So if it doesn't work, I know what I save myself. OK, and then I'll know if it has promise within two or three times. If I can't get it working or I, I'm semi getting it working, then I'll write it out word for word and say, how do I tighten this up? What could I substitute here? Is there a better word or a better thing to put there? And then I'll work it that way. But I don't, I don't necessarily set a time and then put the pen to paper and try to write. The only time I'll do that is if I'm writing a humor column, which I've done over the years. I, when I advertise in these monthly magazines, they'll say you can put a, a humor column in there to try to plug your venues. If, when I have to do that, you know, it is sort of clockwork. You have to do it. You sit down and, and, and you write it. Uh, and a lot of that stuff I have incorporated into my act later but usually the stuff that i'm looking for to do now is some little thing will bother me like i'll give you an example i don't like it when people call me boss in a situation where i'm not their boss now i got to try to figure out a way to make that funny but i it's just a little irritation to me you know i don't like it when they say here you go boss and i'm not your boss i'm just happen to be a customer here you know what i mean yeah. and i and, and i've got to try to figure out can i make that into a bit so that's sort of how that'll work. That's awesome. That right away, I thought of Boss Hog from like uh, from like uh, Smoking the Bandit and uh, all that stuff. Like those shows. Like there was a lot of people in like the seventies and eighties. Their character was Boss Somebody or Somebody Boss. So that that's kind of funny that that's a thing. And then Boss was also used as like a word to mean like cool and stuff at one point, right? And it was also used by slaves to refer to their slave owner. Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess that's true. So yeah, there's like, that's, I mean, there's so many plays on that word that that's, that's a very interesting premise. Cause I would have never thought of that. And, and that's great. That's how your mind works. You're used to that observational style comedy. So you, so you hear something like that and you go, Oh, there's something here and it annoys me. So I'm going to, I want to talk about all the ways that boss, you know, is used or whatever and stuff. That's, that's amazing. All yeah. right. I, now, do you ever teach comedy? Have you taught comedy? Have you been like a comedy coach or anything like that? I have. I, I've done stand-up comedy workshops and, and had a, a couple of my students do extremely well. Uh, one of them, uh, Trevor Wallace, is exploding all over the yeah. internet and packing uh, theaters, I think, yeah. in rooms. Yeah. He, he took my stand-up workshop when he was 17. Wow. And, uh, and um, a couple of other people have done real well. 
Yeah, I have. I've done it. Uh, I did it in Ventura probably five or six times. And I think I did it even once in Valencia. So yeah, I've done it. And I do private coaching too, as well. But usually someone will ask me for that. It's not something I am soliciting or right. trying, to, trying to find. But if somebody wants me to, to help them, I will. And I, I really, right now, if I was coaching someone, I would coach them to, to use the comedy style that is of today, as opposed to, right. uh, I, I teach them joke writing too. I mean, one of the exercises I do is uh, we explore the way a monologue joke is written for late night. Uh, if you watch a monologue on, on any late night show and look at the structure of how it is a, a true thing juxtaposed to something you made up. And I always do that. And one of the things that I'll do then is I'll ask everybody to bring a newspaper and I'll switch. You don't get to keep the one you brought. I'd hand everyone a paper. I said, okay, find me a joke. And then I make them go to the newspaper and somewhere in that newspaper, there is a joke and they have to do that. And that's one of the exercises that I always do. But yeah, it, the, the, the actual monologue that I want them to write, I want them to write it in the, in the form of the way comics are succeeding now. And that's mostly talking about themselves and storytelling and telling, you know, things that bother them or things that are personal to them. Right. And, uh, and then I show them where the jokes go. So, yeah, I like that. And, and monologue writing is such a hard style of, of writing comedy. I mean, even though you're given the setup, right. Cause the setup is usually the headline or some information that's in there, even though you're given that setup, coming up with something original for that punchline can sometimes be the most difficult part of that entire thing. Cause you're like, I've heard that before. Someone said that before or whatever, and you're, you're struggling to do it. I write, um, I work with a, a podcast that I help write monologue style jokes, news jokes for the podcast. And I have to write 20 to 30 every week. And sometimes I'm like, where am I going to come up with an idea for this? Even though I'm writing them all the time, I'm like, we said something similar three episodes ago, so I can't write that or, or whatever it is, but it's, that's one of the hardest styles and is also one of the most fun styles. So I, and it's I one of the most lucrative styles. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you get hired by, by one of those late night things, I wish. One of my you know, clients, but... my, one of my clients just, uh, just wrote for three years on the late late show. So she's, wow. uh, she, you know, she's off and running. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. So Randy, where can people find you? Where can they find the, uh, the dry bar specials on dry bar guys, if you need that, where can people find you? Where can they reach out to you if they want to get private coaching or they want to talk comedy with you and stuff like that? Well, I'm on uh, Facebook and I'm also, uh, my website is randylubis.com. Um, you know, uh, they can, they can hit me up there. Um, the, the best way to meet me if you're a young comic is come someplace where I'm going to be and um, see if I'll put you on stage. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, I guess that's the best way you could go to my website or, uh, you know, message me on Facebook, Randy Lubis, um, it's easy. And, yeah. uh, and on the, um, on the dry bar, if you enter the code, Randy Lubis, no space, all caps, okay. as secret code, uh, they'll give you a, a free trial and you could watch Perfect. my special and with a free trial. Perfect. And I'll put that in the show notes. So everybody can use that and get a free trial and stuff and, and watch it. I mean, and, and everybody, this is true. Randy is one of the kindest people ever. He, he really does want to help comedians. He really loves comedy. Um, I was introduced to him through Paul, uh, Paul Douglas Moomjean, who's been on the podcast a bunch of times, a great friend of mine. And he introduced me and Randy has since then really taken me under his wing and really tried to, to tell me things and, and help me and give advice and talk to me, told me stuff after a show uh, when I first met him. And it was like, I felt like, 
not like you're my dad, but I felt like a dad, like a dad getting dad advice. Does that make sense? Well, I, I, I appreciate <laughs> that. That's, that's very nice of you to say. I, you know, I, I've tried to help people all along the way. You know, it, it takes nothing. It, it doesn't take anything from you to try to help someone else. I mean, if, 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 if you, you see something like I, not, not long ago, I, I knew a guy, a friend of mine was casting a film and he needed a Latino actor who could dance to do a part in his comedy where he had to dance. And I searched my mind and I knew there was this guy who I had met out in Ventura and I'd either met him at one of the comedy festivals. I'm like, what, who is that guy? And then I started thinking, who is he? I've got a thousand names in my phone. And I started looking through the phone because I couldn't think of this guy's name. And then sure enough, I found it. He just goes by Marquez. And I got him an audition for the movie. Now he didn't get it, but he was so grateful. He had a chance the opportunity for a SAG film. And, uh, and he was perfect for the part. They just, I don't know, for whatever reason, there must've been somebody a little more perfect. But, wow. you know, I, and, and I had nothing to gain from it. But, right. you know, I, I will, um, I'll do that whenever I can, you know, if I can help somebody, I'm, I'm always, always happy to do that. You know, if you just, it's, it's just good to have good energy around you, you know? Yeah. And, and it really is positive. And Randy does great stuff. And if you guys want to, I recommend going, checking out JR's either in Valencia or see me. They're both amazing places. They're both always full of great comedians. I mean, I, yeah. Don McMillan was there when I got to, got to host and do stuff, and I was like, "Wow, this is a, just amazing." You feel like you're in a magical place, you know. You know what's funny is the original JRs we opened 25 years ago, and we were inside a Marie Callender's restaurant for 20 <laughs> years. And in the course of being in this little 100 seat room, Larry Miller loved the room. Elaine Boozler played there. Emo Phillips played there. Sean Wayans played there. Dana Carvey played there. Wow. Uh, Tom Green played there. Um, all of these people loved it, you yeah. know? And these are people that didn't need to be there. These are people that didn't need to be in a Marie calendar in front of 100 people. <laughs> they weren't doing it for the money. And I've just been blessed to have lots of great friends and uh, colleagues that do stand-up comedy. And we've been doing these little shows for, for years. And, and I, you know, Don McMillan's a perfect example. He's a guy that gets paid $15,000 a show yeah. to do a corporate event and he'll come do it and, and be grateful for the time. Yeah. And, and he uh, was amazing. It was amazing to watch. And we were lucky. He did his AGT set for us before he went back to do AGT. So it was like, we we're getting to watch like behind the scenes. It was so, I, wow. It was, I, I was like, this is, this is exactly what we want to see when we see comedy is like a ma magic happening. So yes. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Randy. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm going to put all the stuff in the show notes. Go check out Randy's stuff. Go check out his new dry bar, Raised by Engineers. It's amazing. He's a hilarious guy, and he's great, and we really appreciate you taking time. Thanks again, and have a good one, everybody. Bye. <laughs>